Taxpayer money, which means your money and my money, is being spent to promote the transgender agenda in my neighborhood. And I'm not having it. Plus, hide your Christians, the reality of the Equality Act, and how it actually discriminates against Christians and women. I am also going to debunk the Democrats' claim that the filibuster is a Jim Crow relic. And New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay says the American flag disgusts her. I'm going to respond to that today. Plus, of course, the five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you this week. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, hey, thanks for joining us today. First of all, I have a story today that I think that you all might relate to. It it relates to my own neighborhood. But speaking of basic security while you're on the internet, were we? Let's talk first about ExpressVPN. There are a lot of things that I search for online that aren't anybody's business. They are not public, they are private searches. We're talking about what if I search for a security system for my house? Do I want everybody to know that? What if I'm shopping for a new gun to purchase that my husband wants? Do I want everybody to know about that? No, it's nobody's business. And sure, you might say, well, just go on private mode. But actually that's not enough. Incognito mode does not hide your internet activity. Are you as surprised by that as I am? It doesn't matter how or what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service spreader can still see every single website you've ever visited. So that's why I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Internet service providers in the US can legally sell your information to ad companies. Totally creepy, totally gross. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. All you have to do is tap one button and wham, you are protected. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz, expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more. Highly recommend that you do so. Okay, before we get to the content, the meat of this show tonight, let me tell you a little story. So yesterday was voting day in my town. So as every good citizen should, I went and I cast my ballot. As I'm coming out of the polling place, I see the two school board candidates standing there, ostensibly to talk to voters, I assume. They were standing just outside where uh, the sidewalk where you walk up to the polling place. Um, So I walked over to them and I said, hello, are you the school board members? Because why not? That's what they're there for. They said, yes, they are the school board members. So I said, cool. Do you support critical race theory? I looked at the guy who I assume was a Republican. I think he was the more Republican-ish candidate, at least. Um, And he kind of blusters a little bit. And I'm not going to defend his blustering because I assume he stereotyped me as a young, as a millennial, essentially. Maybe he assumed I was liberal. And he's like, well, I don't think you can judge anybody, um, anybody, whether they're racist, unless you know what's inside their heart. And I was like, okay, do you think critical race theory is racist? And he kind of blustered again. He's like, I just don't think you can make sweeping generalizations. And I was like, sure, that's good enough. So I turned to the young woman who was running for school board and I was like, what about you? Do you think critical race theory is racist? And she goes, well, I think it's important to look at history through the eyes of other people, not just white people. And I was like, okay, do you know where critical race theory came from? And she was like, no, I can't say that I do. And I was like, okay, do you know the architects of critical race theory? Do you know what their goal was? And she did not. And so I proceeded to educate them both on the origins of critical race theory, all the way from critical theory to critical legal studies to critical race theory here in the United States and how it had infiltrated our societies. And I have to say, um, I had a great time. 
I don't want to speak for them. Um, they looked a little deer in the headlights, but I told them that I recommended if they were going to serve on school board, whoever did win, that they should be educated about this. So um, I don't know. I thought it was funny. If you have a chance to talk to politicians, always do, because honestly, half the time, they're not even as entrenched in their viewpoint as they are ignorant about the policy or about the position. I don't know. It was really fun. And unfortunately, I think the woman won, but we will continue that fight at a later time. Um, okay, so speaking of, I guess, sort of neighborhood, speaking of a town that's special to my family in the summer, um, that's Kennebunk Court, Maine. You might have heard of it, about it because that's where the bush is summer in the summer. Okay, so this is the this is the same place that I confronted the school board um, candidates, but you may have experienced this in your town as well. But the town painted a crosswalk in downtown. This is where everyone hangs out in summer afternoons and evenings in the downtown, they painted the crosswalk um, like a rainbow in honor of Pride Month. So all the colors of the rainbow, each square of the crosswalk, and then at the end of the rainbow, it was pink. So there's no pink in a rainbow, right? So that's transgender color, the transgender activists color, the transgender flag color. You can see it here for those watching this. I took a picture of it so you could see it. Maybe you've seen this in your community too, in your neighborhood. And here's what I have to say. This might look innocuous. This might look like not a fight worth fighting, but it is time to push back against this because these are the definition of the culture wars that I'm talking about all the time. This is my tax money that the town is using to push the transgender ideology. And I, I would say this, keep my tax dollars out of your political activism. Imagine if it were the other way around. Would you want your tax dollars used to push my political ideology, my agenda? No, you wouldn't. And I, and I say this, I say this, I know that it's Pride Month, and I say this cognizant of that. We are fortunate to live in a country where gay people are free to live their lives without fear of persecution, right? And I say this as a practicing Catholic who believes the tenets of the Catholic faith. We are fortunate to live in a nation where everyone is treated equally under the law, right? But do not celebrate the transgender ideology with my tax money, because the transgender ideology is destructive. It's destructive to individuals, it's destructive to the family, and it's simply unfair to use my tax money to pay for it. And here's what else I would say. Those listening to this, this is one of those topics that I've talked about that can be uncomfortable to talk about. But here's the thing. The people that you see at church on Sunday, your neighbor, the people that you know from your kids go to school with them, that you see them in the grocery store, your neighbor agrees with me. This is a topic that people are afraid to talk about because they're afraid to be labeled a transphobe. But people agree. There are two genders, right? And the transgender ideology is not just tolerance. It's not just, hey, allow an adult to live their life dressed as whoever they want, be called by whatever name they want. No, the transgender ideologist ideology is dangerous and it's destructive. So do not self-censor based on a fear of being targeted by the left. And here's what I mean. The transgender ideology is anti-woman. It's not inclusive. It's not tolerant. It is unfair to biological women, which is redundant. It's unfair to women in sports. It erases women's accomplishments. And it's dangerous to women and children in bathrooms and locker rooms that used to be single sex reserved just for women, biological women. Okay, so it's anti-woman. Children are also being indoctrinated and abused under the head of the transgender ideology. It's anti-science to begin with, we know this, yet public schools are teaching kindergartners that, you know, they can be a boy if they want to be or a girl if they want to be. They're being taught about the, gen the so-called gender spectrum. There's 127 genders or something like that. The gender doesn't have to match your body or your biology, it's your identity. That's what children are being indoctrinated. Parental rights are being violated in adherence to the transgender ideology. Children are actually being removed from their parents based on this ideology. There was a teenager in Cincinnati 
who wanted to, Cincinnati, Ohio, who wanted to be transgender, her parents said, you know what? You need to wait to start hormones and to go through this process until you're 18, until you're out of our house. They were basing it not even on their religious beliefs, on science. A judge took custody of that child away from the parents and gave custody to someone who would facilitate the transgender transition. Children are being removed from their parents over the transgender ideology. James Younger in Texas. He's a seven-year-old boy whose mother claims he's transgender, whose father says he's not. His father's not being forced to participate in his transition or else lose custody of the child. Okay, the transgender ideology also allows public schools to socially transition children without their parents even knowing, let alone consenting to this. The transgender ideology has essentially prohibited children who suffer from gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, by the way, is very real. It's very serious. It's a very sad condition. The trans ideology has prohibited children, essentially, who suffer from gender dysphoria from seeing a mental health professional who will actually tell them the scientific proof and guide them and counsel them through it. Now psychologists are forced to affirm the gender identity of the child or else they risk losing their license to practice. Puberty-blocking drugs that are given to children to chemically castrate children are not FDA-approved for children. It's bodily mutilation that's being inflicted on these kids, very young kids. So the transgender ideology is not inclusive. It's not about tolerance. It's not about letting adults choose to live with or love or dress how they want or be called whatever name they want. No, the transgender ideology is destructive. And the part of it that's never discussed too, this is in addition to everything else, is the transgender individuals who are pushed or encouraged to transition and then they regret that transition after they've already irrevocably mutilated their bodies. Okay? This is what's being celebrated by my town, the town that is special to my family in the summer. This is happening in towns all over the country. And it might seem innocuous, but it's not. This is the culture war. This is the time to stand up and say, well, are we going to allow delusion to reign? Are we going to pretend that it's tolerance and inclusion when it's not? Or are we going to stand up for reality? So what I'm asking you to do tonight is write to the town manager, demand that the rainbow flag on the crosswalk promoting the transgender ideology, demand that that's removed. This is our tax money being used to indoctrinate our children and promote a destructive ideology. So be polite, but be firm. Tell the town manager, keep our tax money out of your activism. The transgender ideology hurts women and hurts children. The town's manager's name is Lori Smith. Her phone number is 207-967-1606. And before any censors get on me for saying her phone number, it's public record on the town website. There's also a contact form on the town website, kennybunkportmaine.gov slash user slash 171 slash contact. They never make it easy. Lori Smith, politely but firmly tell her to remove that flag. We don't want our tax money involved in her activism. Okay, speaking of standing up for what's right, my friend Lila Rose has a new book that I want to tell you about. It's called Fighting for Life, and you can get your copy of it today. Lila Rose, as you might know, is the founder of Live Action and has become the face of the millennial pro-life movement. Now more than ever, it's extremely important that we have real warriors going out into the world to make a change. Whether it's fighting for the life of unborn babies, fighting for the traditional values that America was founded on, or trying to right the injustices in the world, this book is your playbook for how to truly make a difference. It's based on our own experiences. Lila's sharing how you can understand your own talents to become a leader and build a foundation for change in the face of obstacles. As I mentioned time and time again right here, the left is doing everything they can to destroy America. And that's why this book is so important right now. Fighting for Life is the title. It's available now anywhere you buy your books, and you can get yours at fightingforlifebook.com. 
That's fightingforlifebook.com. It's a wonderful book. I've read it. It's touching. It's moving. It's effective. Lila Rose is a warrior to emulate for our generation. Young people ask all the time, how can I be successful fighting for life? Lila shows you how. Fightingforlifebook.com. I highly recommend it. Okay, speaking of Pride Month, the Biden administration is making the most of Pride Month. They're flying pride flags at U.S. embassies, including one outside of the Vatican, I believe, which is, fun, in my opinion, fundamentally disrespectful since they know what the Catholic teaching on uh, the human body, biology, gender, marriage, sex is. Regardless, the Biden administration is doing this anyway. I guess they think they're virtue signaling. President Biden, though, made a proclamation in honor of Pride Month touting the Equality Act. This is what he said. He said, while I am proud of the progress my administration has made in advancing protections for the LGBTQ plus community, I will not rest until full equality for LGBTQ plus Americans is finally achieved and codified into law. That is why I continue to call on the Congress to pass the Equality Act, which will ensure civil rights protections for LGBTQ plus people and families across our country, end quote. So that flowery language sounds nice because we all, I think everybody, appreciates equality and everybody wants everybody else to share equality under the law, right? We not only want a colorblind society, we want every single person. This is in our Declaration of Independence. We want equality under the law. That is not what will happen if the Equality Act is passed. So I want to talk for a second about the reality of the Equality Act because this is very bad news. Inequality Act would be a better name. Um, the House of Representatives has already passed the Equality Act. They passed it 224 to 206. That means, of course, for those of you who are doing the math, that three Republicans voted in favor of this bill. No Democrats voted against. So these Republicans that voted in favor, first of all, we are going to name and shame them. That would be Congressman John Katko of New York, Congressman Tom Reed of New York, and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania. I don't understand how anybody can call themselves Republican and vote for this bill. This bill is the antithesis of freedom and liberty and justice for all. It is not equality. It is an attack on Christians. It is an attack on women. It essentially criminalizes the practice of faith in certain ways and makes Christians in general second-class citizens. How does it do this? Let me tell you. So the Equality Act redefines the Civil Rights Act non-discrimination, okay? So it inserts sexual orientation and gender identity into the statute. Okay, which enforces or it allows the federal government to enforce non-discrimination laws that already exist in cases that are related to LGBT issues. Now, you might think, well, there's always exemptions for religious objections. No, no. The Equality Act supersedes the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. And this is a quote from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It prohibits any agency, department, or official of the United States from substantially burdening a person's exercise of religion. So the Equality Act erases that part of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So literally, I just explained it. You don't have that religious freedom protection anymore, okay? And by the way, this is very interesting. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act used to be a bipartisan concept. It was sponsored, actually, by then-representative and now-Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Yep, old Chuck. He sponsored it. It passed the House and the Senate almost unanimously, and it was signed by President Bill Clinton at the time. How far the Democratic Party has fallen right? This used to be a bipartisan thing. So this is what would happen if we allow Congress, in this case, Senate Democrats, if we allow Democrats in Congress to redefine the Civil Rights Act and insert um, gender identity and sexual orientation into um, characteristics that are prohibited from people discriminating against them. Now, the way that I phrase that makes it sound like this is active discrimination, and it's not. So this is what would happen. 
if the Equality Act passes, business owners would be forced to violate their religious conscience, okay? Because the Civil Rights Act prohibits employers from, and I quote, failing or refusing to hire or discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of such individual's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. The Equality Act, as I said, adds sexual orientation and gender identity. So employers, regardless of the theme of their business, even if they're a religious business, they cannot choose not to hire people who are contradictory to their religious values and views, okay? And, and it's actually worse than that. So it's not just it's not just that broad. It's very specific. And this is personal to me because my husband's a medical provider. So medical providers lose conscious protections if the Equality Act is passed into law, right? That means if there's a transgender surgery or an abortion, now medical providers can say that I that violates my religious conscience. I object to that conscientiously. Um, therefore, I'm not going to take part in that. And they're allowed to do that. They're protected. But if the Equality Act passes then medical providers lose their conscious protections. Even abortion, by the way, is categorized as pregnancy discrimination if you refuse uh, to or decline to take part in that. Okay, can you imagine Christians in the medical field? What are they going to do? It's not just Christians. What about practicing Muslims, practicing Jews? There are a lot of religions that teach that gender, that there are two genders, male and female, and don't allow for gender mutilation surgery. That's against their religious beliefs, against their ethics. Abortion ends the life of an unborn child. But religious medical providers could be forced, will be forced to participate in this, or they'll have to leave the medical field altogether. This will ostracize Christians from the medical field. Is that what we want in our country? Is that equality? No, that's discrimination. Okay, so going back to the hiring and firing of employees for a second. So the Equality Act prohibits sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination in the hiring of education providers as well. So teachers and stuff. Okay, so imagine for a second a Catholic school. A Catholic school hires teachers that share the religious beliefs, the doctrine of the Catholic Church. That's part, that's part of a contract usually at a Catholic school is you have to adhere to Catholic religious doctrine. So what about an atheist? Or a transgender person, right? What if what if a transgender person comes and says, "Hey, I want to teach. I want to teach religion at your school." Well, the Catholic the Catholic school is probably going to say, "Well, you're not living your life according to Catholic doctrine, so you're probably not the right candidate for this position." Okay, it's not about the person; it's about their act, their actions. But under this under this bill, under this piece of legislation, if it were to become law, then these these schools would be forced under threat of lawsuit anti-discrimination lawsuit, they'd be forced to allow people who violate the religious doctrine of the school to teach at the school. Similarly, employers couldn't opt out of providing health insurance that covers transgender surgeries or something else that they religiously object to. This would even apply to religious charities like the Little Sisters of the Poor, right? The Little Sisters of the Poor, the ones that have been taken to the Supreme Court multiple times because they religiously object to abortifacient contraceptive and the Obama administration tried to force them to pay for it. Well, they'd be targeted again. They'd be forced to provide health insurance that not only covers abortifacient contraception, but covers transgender surgeries, even if they religiously object to it. Okay, so it all, business owners too, Christian business owners like Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop, who would sell cakes, sell anything that, from his bakery to any person, regardless of sexual orientation, but declined to participate in a gay wedding because it violated his religious beliefs. 
They would be forced to participate in activities that violate their beliefs, or they could be subject to a lawsuit under this non-discrimination um, clause. So as you can see, the Equality Act is not about equality. No, no. This would target Christians. Target Christians. It would also, it would also target adoption agencies. Christians would be forced to violate their conscience, which punishes children. So if an adoption agency is Christian and they don't want to place either for foster care or adoption to LGBTQ couples because that violates their religious beliefs, they'd be forced to or they'd be forced to close down. Okay, churches too. Hiring staff. is If the staff isn't a minister, then they could be forced to hire people that are transgender, even if that violates their religious doctrine, or else they could be sued. Okay? This is also anti-woman, the Equality Act. So it puts women at risk. Under the public accommodations provision, sports, women's sports, biological males who identify as women would be allowed on women's sports team in locker rooms, in bathrooms, in shelters, in sex trafficking shelters. The Equality Act is not about equality. It would hurt women. It hurts business owners. It would hurt children in the foster system and up for adoption. It hurts education system, private education system, and it hurts churches. Any Republican who would even consider voting for this bill ought to be voted out of office. The Equality Act is not about equality. Eric Erickson, by the way, once wrote a book called You Will Be Made to Care, and probably the best headline in the history or the best book title in the history of book titles, because this is exactly what the left wants. They don't want tolerance. They don't want inclusion. They don't actually want equality. They want to impose their ideology on you. They want to force you to celebrate what they dictate to you. You will be made to care. The best title, the best book title. That's what's happening with the Equality Act. So the Democrats need 10 Republican senators to overcome a filibuster if they were if they want to pass this uh, bill in the Senate. Thank God that's not going to happen. Uh, same actually with the For the People Act that we covered earlier in the week, the voting monstrosity bill, H.R. 1. Um, but this is why the Democrats want to abolish the filibuster, because they know that they can't overcome it. So they want to get rid of it. Speaking of the truth that Democrats don't want you to hear, if for some reason big tech kicks me off their platforms once and for all, don't worry, I won't be silent. So I want to make sure that I have the ability to stay in touch with you. That's why I'm asking you today to subscribe to our email list at lizwheelershow.com. If you want to make sure you never lose access to the Liz Wheeler Show and all the content I'm delivering, please drop your email address at lizwheelershow.com so that I can reach you if or when Big Tech pulls the plug. Okay, let's talk about this uh, filibuster for a second. I think the filibuster for now is protected by uh, not only Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, but also Senator Kirsten uh, Cinema, which thank goodness that they're acting with some sense, I suppose. Although cinema is being threatened by one of her biggest donors, former Arizona Attorney General Grant Wood uh, is threatening her. He said, at the end of the day, if you don't vote to protect voting rights and save our democracy by breaking the Jim Crow filibuster, it should be your last vote as a United States Senator, no exceptions. So I don't think Senator Cinema is going to be getting money from him. She responded by saying, as folks in Arizona know, I've been a long supporter of the filibuster because it is a tool that protects the democracy of our nation rather than allowing our country to ricochet wildly every two to four years back and forth between policies. So two, two things I want to address today. First of all, the Democrats' reasoning or their argument for abolishing the filibuster uh, are twofold. It, they claim it's a Jim Crow relic. That's an Obama phrase. And they claim that it's abused. So let's talk about the Jim Crow relic argument first. So Obama said this when he wanted to get rid of it uh, when he was president. He called it a Jim Crow relic. However, when Obama was Senator Obama, when he was in the Senate, he was very much opposed to abolishing the filibuster. And here's why. Take a listen. What they don't expect is for one party 
be it Republican or Democrat, to change the rules in the middle of the game so that they can make all the decisions while the other party is told to sit down and keep quiet. The American people want less partisanship in this town, but everyone in this chamber knows that if the majority chooses to end the filibuster, if they choose to change the rules and put an end to democratic debate, then the fighting and the bitterness and the gridlock will only get worse. I understand that Republicans are getting a lot of pressure to do this from factions outside the chamber. But we need to rise above the ends justify the means mentality because we're here to answer to the people, all of the people, not just the ones that are wearing our particular party label. Isn't that funny how the Democrats want to abolish it when it hurts them, but they want it when it helps them? Huh. I think that's what you call a hypocrite, a flip-flopper. And listen, you heard Obama's words. He's, he's actually correct. It would allow one party to change the rules in the middle of the game, and that's wildly unfair. So also, so then we fast forward a little bit. When Obama was president, he called it a Jim Crow relic. That's become sort of the echoing narrative from Democrats ever since. But here's my question. If the filibuster is so racist, then why do the Democrats use it all the time? Are they participating in racism? Are they perpetuating something that's systemically racist? The filibuster, remember, was not created for any racist purposes. Inherently, in and of itself, it's not racist. It's a tool, okay? It is true in the 1930s that the Democrats used the filibuster to kill anti-lynching legislation. The Democrats did that, and they used the filibuster. They also, the Democrats also used the filibuster against Senator Tim Scott last year, right? So the filibuster, there's no doubt that the filibuster was used or abused in the past for racist purposes by racist people. But that's not the fault of the filibuster. That's the fault of the racist people who did it the racist Democrats who filibustered anti-lynching leg legislation. In fact, lots of American institutions were have been abused to protect inherent evils. I mean, the presidency has been, the House of Representatives, the Supreme Court has been. But does that mean the institutions are inherently evil and racist? No, it doesn't. It means the people who were perpetuating the abuse using the institutions were racist and they ought to be condemned. Same with the filibuster. Inherently, it's a tool. A tool can't be racist. It's like the gun debate, in a sense. Yes, criminals use guns illegally and law-abiding people use guns lawfully, but does that make all guns bad? No. The gun is the tool and the tool is not the problem. The use and the user can be the problem. Okay? So that, that's, that's how to respond to the Jim Crow accusation. The filibuster itself is not racist. It's been used for racist purposes, but that's the fault of the racist people who used it. Okay, so here's some facts about the filibuster. The funniest part, by the way, of the Democrats whining that the filibuster is being abused, Republicans have used the filibuster zero times in the past six years, more than six years. But Democrats themselves have used it a whopping 327 times last year alone. So if it's so racist, did they want to come forward and, you know, apologize for the 327 racist times that they used it? I don't think so. So the filibuster is not a constitutional provision. It is a rule, and Senator Sinema is correct. So here's a little bit of the history about it. So the Senate obviously has a 60-vote threshold required to overcome the filibuster, okay? And it's been required since 1975. It used to be higher than that, by the way. For more than a century, it required the Senate required 100% agreement to end debate. 
How crazy is that? Can you imagine 100% agreement to end debate? In 1975, it became 60 votes. The purpose of the filibuster is to make the Senate more of a bipartisan body versus the bare majority rules that happens in the House of Representatives because the houses are supposed to be different. So you can, you can see what would happen. Without the filibuster, Democrats would ram through highly partisan legislation like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, H.R. 1. They would pack the courts. They would make D.C. a state. Very, very left-wing agenda items that even a lot of Democrats don't support. In fact, if you need further proof that this would be just an extremely, it has nothing to do with racism, and it's an extremely partisan endeavor, the, the, the end of the filibuster crusade that we're seeing right now from Democrats is actually funded by millions and millions of dollars of Democrat dark money. Okay, it's funded by a coalition called Fix the Senate. Their whole, their entire premise is ending the filibuster. Uh, Fix the Senate is a project of the 1630 Fund, which is a dark money network that supports, yeah, very, very far left agenda items at our federal government level. Okay, so this is not something that public opinion calls for. It's not even something necessarily that the majority of elected Democrats want. It's the very, very far left donors that want it. The American people do not want to abolish the filibuster. They want the filibuster intact. 60% of Americans prefer that President Biden alter his radical proposals to make them more moderate versus abolishing the filibuster to ram them through. Okay, 59% of people who were surveyed said that Senator Joe Manchin, after he said that he would protect the filibuster, that makes them more likely to vote for him the next time he's up for re-election. Same with cinema. 65% of people in her state said that they would be more likely to vote for her based on her support for keeping the filibuster. Okay? The only reason the Democrats want to abolish the filibuster is because they want to ram through highly partisan, unpopular, radical leftist agenda items. And we shouldn't let them. Call them out. If they accuse the filibuster of being Jim Crow, know your facts. It's a false accusation. It shouldn't even bother us. It's such a false accusation. Just debunk it and move on. Expose them for what they're doing. All right. And now for my favorite segment on the show. This really is my favorite part of the show every week. The five stories the mainstream media refused to report to you. Since they refused to report to you, I will. Okay. Story number one. This this is a good one. This is a really good one. Um, President Obama, former President Obama, laughed about the idea that critical race theory is a threat to our country. This is what he said. And I quote, you would think with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, the Republican Party would be engaged in a significant debate about how we're going to deal with the economy, what we're going to do about climate change, what we're going to do about, lo and behold, the biggest single most important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that was a threat to our republic? He laughed when he said, who knew that was a threat to our republic? This man knows what he's talking about. He's not right on these issues but he knows to ridicule something that the right is attacking. Remember, remember the video of Barack Obama when he was at Harvard Law School praising a man named Derrick Bell. Who is Derrick Bell, you might ask? Derrick Bell is known as the godfather of critical race theory. Obama knows what critical race theory is. He's only laughing because Republicans and conservatives all across the country, thinking people of every party, have gotten together to reject the racism and Marxism that is critical race theory. But did the mainstream media tell you about this? No, no, they did not. And by the way, I promised that I would give you action items for what you can do to fight against radical leftist assaults. Here's one for you. So Russ Vogt, former Trump official, a good friend of mine, published an A to Z guide 
for how parents can fight critical race theory in their children's schools. Right now, after leaving the Trump administration, he's the president of the Center for Renewing America. The advocacy arm of his think tank is called Citizens for Renewing America. They created this A to Z guide. It's 33 pages. It's very short. It's a booklet, but it's chock full of information. It's a crash course in critical race theory and exactly how you can hold school board members accountable. So if you want to fight against this in your child's school, if you want to confront the school board the way I did, Get this 33-page handbook. You can, I assume, get it on uh, on his think tank website, Citizens for Renewing America. I'll try to post it on my Twitter as well, since I didn't give you a direct link. It was more of a by the way. Okay, story number two. This is a really sad story. It's super tragic. Very heartrending. A 10-year-old boy, 10 years old, a 10-year-old black boy named Justin Wallace was killed by gunfire in Queens. But AOC and the Black Lives Matter movement we're completely silent about this. This little child, he was three days away from his 11th birthday. He was shot in the chest. He passed away, he died in a hospital. His father found him in a pool of blood, dead. Why wouldn't the Black Lives Matter movement say his name? Where's AOC condemning this? Doesn't this child's black life matter? Well, that's the thing. Because this child was shot by another black man. It doesn't fall into the narrative of the Black Lives Matter movement, which only claims that Black lives are taken by white police officers. When it's a Black man shooting a Black child, the Black Lives Matter movement and AOC are silent. That Black child's life doesn't matter to them. So please join me in saying his name, Justin Wallace, a 10-year-old boy killed by gunfire three days before his 11th birthday. Did the mainstream media report on this story? No, they didn't. Okay, story number three. This one kind of makes me laugh, kind of makes me cringe. In Joe Biden's budget, he doesn't use the word mother. He calls us birthing people. Birthing people. Okay, when I was in grammar school, I was taught when you're writing an essay, if you have two, three, four words, anytime you have a phrase or a sentence that can be condensed into a precise word, that is how to be a good writer. I highly recommend that the morons who wrote Biden's budget condense birthing people into a more precise word. That word would be woman. Okay, joking aside, this is not only silly, of course it is silly. It's misogynistic. They are literally trying to erase womanhood. They claim to be advocates of women's rights. No, no, they're not. They're trying to er erase womanhood. Biden's budget would allocate over $200 million in funding to help end the high rate of maternal mortality and race-based disparities in outcomes among birthing people. That's the quote in his budget, okay? Also included in Biden's budget, an additional $200 million to implement implicit bias training for healthcare providers. If you care about birthing people, Mr. Biden, why wouldn't you give that additional $2 million Instead of implicit bias training, why don't you give it for healthcare to the mothers who need it? Or don't take it from the taxpayer to begin with and let these mothers use their own money the way that they see fit. Do not call me a birthing person. I am a mother. I am a woman. Thank you very much. But did the mainstream media report on this misogyny, on the fact that Pelosi, who doesn't she have five children, trying to erase gender from congressional rules? Britain is trying to called breastfeeding, chest feeding? Did the mainstream media report on how misogynistic this is? No, no, they did not. The mainstream media is allowing the left to obliterate objective truth. Well, we won't.
Okay. Oh, this is the craziest story. This is crazy. New York Times editorial board member Mara Gay, you're probably familiar with her. She says in an anecdote that she to- that she told on air, she says when she saw dozens of American flags flying on people's vehicles, I think she was in New York, uh, she said it disturbed her. Here's why. Take a listen. I was on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw, you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with, uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, uh, Trump flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which, you know, uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear. It was, this is my country. This is not your country. I own this. Okay, explicatives or whatever she said is not a word. (laughs) She might have meant expletives, but explicatives is not a word, but hashtag New York Times, educated for you. Okay, so here's my question for Mara Gay. What exactly is disturbing about the American flag? The fact that it represents the blood of the men and women of all skin colors who died for our flag and for our country? Including the Americans, by the way, who died fighting to free the slaves? The idea of freedom and liberty and justice for all, is that what disgusts you? If you think the American flag is a representation of whiteness, you are spitting on the graves of the thousands of men and women of color who have died for this country and come home draped in that flag. The men and women of color who proudly call this nation home and celebrate the founding principle that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with unalienable rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You are indoctrinated. You are peddling revisionist history. And by the way, you're free to say idiotic things like this because of the bedrock values, like freedom of speech, represented by our flag. But here's the question that the mainstream media would ask if they had any journalistic curiosity whatsoever. When radical leftists like Mara Gay make comments like this, say that they're disgusted at the sight of the American flag, what does she really want? What does she want to happen as the result of her disgust? Does she want a Marxist state? Does she want to tear down America? Does she want white people marginalized? Does she want equality demolished and replaced by equity, which obviously just means discrimination against certain people based on immutable characteristics, adjudicated by wokesters like her? If the mainstream media had any journalistic curiosity or credibility, then they would ask, what is it that you want here, Mara Gay? But did the mainstream media ask that? No, no, they did not. Okay, story number five. This is a funny one, kind of. Burger King is trying to troll Chick-fil-A in order to garner more business. They have a new campaign where they say that they will donate to an LGBTQ group for every chicken sandwich that they sell, even on Sundays they sell. They're obviously trying to tweak Chick-fil-A for being closed on Sundays because Chick-fil-A is a Christian organization and they're closed on uh, the Lord's Day. Here's what I will say to this. First of all, this is probably going to help Chick-fil-A tremendously when Christians who don't like being mocked for being Christian refuse to eat at Burger King, who is mocking them for being Christian, and go to Chick-fil-A instead. That's what I would encourage you to do. But why is Burger King insulting a huge part of their customer base? Do they not want Christians? The vast majority of people in our country identify as Christians. Do they not want Christians to eat at their restaurant? I mean, I wouldn't anyway because fast food is gross, but that's neither here nor there. But why are they insulting a huge part of their customer base? Isn't this the opposite of what they claim they're doing by claiming to be tolerant of LGBTQ people? What are they not tolerant of Christians? Are they discriminating, trying to discriminate against Christians now? But did you hear this story on the mainstream media? Well, if you did, you only heard it 
because the mainstream media was praising it. You didn't hear any advocacy on behalf of Christians being mocked. And since the mainstream media won't report any of this to you, I, of course, will. I'm happy to do so. It's my favorite segment of the week. All right, and now we've got the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer in my ear, telling me that we are out of time. We do have more to talk about as always, but we will have to wait until next week. If you missed this week's episodes, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Download the episodes, subscribe, listen to them, give us a five-star rating, uh, write us a glowing review, only nice reviews. Uh, We really appreciate when you do that because it helps us move up the charts, which helps more people discover the show and helps more people experience reality, which they desperately need. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought, not critical theory. Question authority. Follow the facts and do not let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bullying you into being a sheep. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Stephen Reyes. Assistant Editor, Michael Wall. Assistant Editor, Tommy Weber. Sound Mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-Production Manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. And Production Assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.